The first reading this morning is from Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 25. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helpful, a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. And they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. The second reading comes from Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 21 to 33. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. His body of which he is the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing, <clears throat> cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to be presented, present, <clears throat> sorry, and to present her to himself as a radiant church with, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each, of, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Great to be with you. If you weren't here last week, this might be bizarre to you. If you were here last week, you'll remember... Last week when we started this series, we talked about identity, what it means to be a human. And to kick that off, we looked at how the world has got to the place that it's got. And we talked about these five things, is, is where our society, our Western world is at. And these really have what shaped, um, shaped uh, who we are. That we're radically individual in our approach that the sexual revolution has changed the landscape massively. Relativism has a big uh, say on everything because you can have a truth and I can have a truth and they can be opposite, but we can both say they're true. We're living in a time where the Western world isn't operating as Christian. 
more and more so, whereas it used to not that long ago. And this fancy word Gnosticism, something that the, the early church, the New Testament writers had to deal with, has come back in a big way. The idea that this stuff, the physical, is actually not good. It's actually, you could see it as wicked, but it's your inner self. Whatever you perceive of yourself, that inner special self, is where true identity is found. These things have a big shape on it. And so what we're going to do each week, we're going to remind ourselves and embed these in by trying to figure out which one is which. Uh, as we go through. So, oh, I came off again. That's going to be disastrous. Ah, um, well, what we're going to do is I'm going to play a song. Um, not yet. Uh, I'm going to play a song. And um, you're going to have to think through which one is this song about. Now, the context of the song, just so you realize I haven't lost the plot, but I think it's a really good reason to play this song, is... This song is about smoking marijuana and why it's good. Alright? I haven't lost the plot. I think it's got to do with relationships and we will get there. But it's about the joy of smoking marijuana. Twelve months ago today, Jack Roller and I were at Ben Harper's concert and it was great. And I talked about that before um, because he talked about God in a profound way. This song is a massive song. Alright, if you don't know it, have a listen to the words and then I want someone to see they can pick which one it represents. Alright, let's go. Alright, so which one do you think it is? Radical individuality. Did you hear the end of that song? The justification for all of why in, in a lot of the world now marijuana is legal. I'm not causing any harm. It's alright with me. It's what I choose to do. If it's, if it's causing a harm, why should it bother you? I can do whatever I like. That song is the song that everyone sings word for word at the concert all the time. My choice is what I choose to do. If it's causing no harm, why should it bother you? If you're causing no harm, it's all right with me. I can do what I want. As long as I don't call harm, whatever we want to define that as is another question. You can do things that once we would have said is so, so, so wrong. And maybe in relationships, we've taken that approach in a profoundly deep way, that individualism. Before we go again, I've got another song for you. This is a more uh, current song. Some of you will love it, some of you will hate it. It's a bit lovey-dovey. Um, but I want you to ask the question in your head, is this a good idea in marriage? It is a bad idea in marriage. Now ask yourself this question as we go to the next song. All right. We're not going to do the whole song. It's too sappy. Um, <laughs> is it mostly good or mostly bad? Or is it indifferent? I wonder. We'll consider that as we go. Let me pray. And then we're going to think why we bother with marriage and get into God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come together uh, and open up your word together, be challenged by it, and, and really seek to understand it. Father, it can be very emotive dealing on topics that are very personal for us. Whatever profound struggles, baggage, joys we have on dealing with marriage, we pray that we'll just be able to hear you speak to us today. Your spirit will transform our hearts and minds. Amen. 
So the first uh, point on the outline is, why bother? Well, let's talk about marriage. Haven't we actually moved on? Why do we need a bit of piece of paper? I mean, marriage rates are as low as they've been. They're getting lower. Divorce rates are getting higher and higher. And, well, Australia has just voted. Seven million people have changed how we view marriage a long time. Four million people said no, but seven million did. It's a pretty big distinction, isn't it? Do we need to bother? You can just do whatever you want. Your choice is what you choose to do. That's why we, uh, uh, many reasons why uh, people said yes to to, um, changing marriage laws. But part of it is because it's causing no harm. Why should it bother you? How do we bother with marriage? We can do whatever we want. Well, today is not actually going to be about um, the plebiscite or anything like that. I think that'll, um, as we hear uh, God's word, it'll inform that. But we're going to actually be thinking about what God has to say on marriage. And the thing that we said in the outline, the little blurb that kind of introduces the series is, from a Christian perspective, what are we seeking to do each week? Quite simply, we want what? Anyone remember what it is? Sorry? Other person-centeredness is the, uh, is the outcome because we want what God wants. I'm going to ask you that again next week and everyone can yell it back to me, all right? We actually want in our relationships, if you're a follower of Jesus, is what God wants. And that is other person-centeredness, which we'll get to. We want what God wants. And so our goal today in love and compassion is to speak about God's perspective on marriage. And so wherever you're at with God, whatever your perspectives are on marriage and what you think of them, you're more than welcome today. I'm I'm glad that you're here. And hopefully um, you'll get a good perspective of that's why Christians think the way they do. Maybe I should give that a thought myself. You see, what is marriage for? I want to just reflect on three things and then get to the heart of the matter. See, firstly... It is for unity and companionship. In, in Genesis 2.18, the whole idea of a helper is brought out. And I think that highlights the idea that it's about companionship. That Adam and Eve are doing this thing together. The Lord God said, 2.18, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, the problem I think we have with the word helper is we think it's kind of lesser or uh, not, as, not as good. Okay, so for example, in a kitchen, in a, in a restaurant, in a kitchen, you've got the, the chef and the second in charge chef, and then you've got the apprentice. Is the apprentice as important as the second person in charge, Andrew? No. No, they're not. Right? And then you've got the person in rubbing the dishes. Okay? And they're, they're seen as the help. And we kind of transport that idea into the understanding of helper as if it's lesser and we're starting in a bad point, uh, base. Whereas here, it's not, a, not good to be alone because there's a job to do and you want someone to get alongside you and get the job done. It's not Adam going, oh, I finally got my secretary. He's got a companion to work with in the garden. It's to complement the task, to work alongside. Marriage is for unity and companionship. There's harmony in that relationship. 
They should be best friends. And so, if there's unity and companionship, it's in the context that secondly, it needs to be lifelong. Verse 24, what happens in verse 24? Uh, The air conditioning keeps buying the Bible, but I think we want the air con on, so... I'll deal with it. Verse 24, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. So you leave your, your father and your mother for a little while and then you can go and do what you want. It's, you leave because this is now where you belong. It's lifelong. It's not while it works for a while. It's not while both of you are getting something out of it. Oh, you know what? This person, the way that their financial situation works and mine, if we come together and we can bear each other, we'll actually be set up for life. That sounds crude, doesn't it? But I think behind a lot of marriages is that dynamic. Or we just have so much fun together and so while we're having fun, let's do this marriage thing. Or the romance is great. The all of me, the lovey-dovey feeling that that song has in it. That, that idea is so good, while that's there... We'll get, we'll do the marriage thing. But the romance thing doesn't kind of stay forever. It just can't. Because we're not made for it to stay that way. It is lifelong. Jesus spoke about divorce, and we're not going into all those, all those passages today because that's uh, worth us spending a good, a good time in passages on that and opening up it in, in detail. But the point I want to make about Jesus speaking on it is that the plan was not for divorce. Now, the reality is, in a fallen world, for an array of different reasons, the Christian world and and the Christian world deal with the fact that there needs to be divorce. It's the way it is. That for us here, we're scarred by that. We've got those wounds for some of us. It's important for us to not hear that we're lesser when that's kind of how things have played out for us or when we're struggling because of last week. See, marriage is not the ideal way you find your identity. A lifelong marriage is not where your identity is. It was in last week, being the image of God. A female and a male are completely in the image of God. That's where we find our identity. When our relationships fall apart and they're hard, the image of God isn't lessened. Or if our longing, deep longings for relationships isn't working the way we desperately want and that pain is real and the yearning for it, you're no lesser. But the plan is for lifelong marriage. And thirdly, marriage is supposed to be intimate. That's not code for marriage is supposed to be all about sex. Because it's way beyond that. Sex is the acting out your new one flesh relationship. It's deeply profound, so profound. Next week, we're going to have a whole talk actually talking about it because it's so important. The sexual revolution has changed everything and we keep changing it. And God wants us to see how magnificent sex is and how the Christian community needs to deal with it in a healthy way. But that is just expressing a deeper, intimate, one flesh connection that goes beyond just sex. 
it speaks to our purpose but our one fleshness as both passages brought up don't they because genesis 2 is kind of foundational to pretty much every passage on marriage in the bible it kind of alludes back to it every single time verse 23 the man said this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh she shall be called woman for she was taken out of me that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh you see the marriage is for fostering intimacy and growing in that relationship you're bonded together is what marriage is supposed to be like it's not operational it's not for the sake of fun or for good or because it's working for me and it happens to work for you as well it is two people bonding together And God, in his glorious glorious design, put sex in the heart of it to continually foster and bond that, which we'll think about more next week. You see, within these three things, we get, I could have called it a fourth, but I actually kind of pulled it out because I wanted us to see that these three things are the framework in which children are for marriage. You fill the earth and multiply. And children coming into the world they come into the world in a relationship where there's companionship they come into the world where there should be security come into a world where there's fostering of beautiful relationships that are intimate that they can be part of and that is what marriage is for see at the heart of marriage at the heart of marriage is faithfulness faithfulness it's a promise not ebay not any kind of shopping you see the problem is we can kind of think that marriage is i think the, what the world kind of gets struggling with and we can get caught up in is you know when you when you look on ebay has, any, has anyone ever bought anything on ebay yeah yeah a few of us we've all been shopping um you scroll through and you find the exact right one that you want. Right? And because the beauty of eBay is you've got more choice than you had. You don't have to go to the shops and you know those things. And Gumtree even works better because you can just go around the corner and pick it up. And all these things, you get to choose what you want. And if it's not right, well, you'll get something else. That's how consumerism works. You get what you want. Marriage is not like that. It's supposed to be a promise built on faithfulness i started with why bother because what lies behind the paper that is important is the idea that you're committing to something that you don't get out of it's a promise to love it's not i promise to love you until i don't love you anymore it's not i promise to to uh, marry you while we're having fun it's not i promise to marry you while it's commercially yeah quite good for us or i promise to marry you while the kids are around but then i'm going to do what i want to do or i promise to marry you while there's romance be married to you rather while there's romance see i i think maybe what we need to realign ourselves with marriage is is that actually we need to see it more like how we relate to kids see 
if you have kids, you would, um, or if you are a kid and you've experienced this with your, your parents, if you were a kid, I think we've all been a kid, actually. <laughs> so the problem is, when you, when you have a baby, you, they don't love you straight away. It takes quite a while for them to love you, right? They're not loving you straight away. When is that first moment for them to love you? It's down the track, isn't it? You do all the loving and you don't do it because they're loving you. You do it because there's a promise that's just kind of woven into the fact that you've got them. They're yours and you love them. You see them and you melt. You love them. And then, well, at some point they may express that they love you and that's a great moment, isn't it? And then they keep on annoying you and they keep on ruining kids' talks and you're trying to figure out how to do your discipline and everyone's watching and it gets really awkward. <laughs> and then you're trying to love them. Sorry. So, yeah. Um, so, you see, we love them regardless is the point. But when it comes to marriage, I think that we're, we've forgotten that concept. The promise is, I love you regardless. I love them anyway. The promise is a covenant promise. As I started the Lord's Supper together with that passage from Malachi, it's an astounding passage of um, well, judgment, really, but it's astounding because God ties into what we reflect in marriage into His bigger purposes. The story of unfaithfulness is the heart of the problem to God. The heart of marriage is to be faithful and God's saying you're to reflect what's supposed to happen. That Malachi passage, they were unfaithful to God and carried it into unfaithfulness in their marriages and forgetting that, what did he say, the women of their youth, the wife of your youth of your marriage covenant. You're supposed to stick with them. Now, I'm not talking about uh, we're living in a fallen world and there's heartache. This isn't for people to hear. Uh, there's been some horrible things happen in which divorce has had to be the case or, or one of the partners in the relationship is there's been disaster that needs to be dealing with. We've got to deal with those things in a godly way, but the plan... Is totally different, isn't it? A covenant is a relationship that two people have willfully entered into in which they both make public promises before witnesses. That's why marriage, we bother with it. Because it's very different to just shacking up with someone. Because when you shack up with someone, what do you have to do to keep shacking up with them? You've got to perform because what if it doesn't work out anymore? You can just as easily get out of there. This idea that it's a try before you bite before marriage is actually not true because you're not trying marriage at all because you can't. You can only try marriage when you're married. And this is how God deals with us. He's stuck with us. Did he go or stay? God loved us. When 
Jesus came. He loved us. When we hated him and he's on the cross, did he get down off the cross or did he stick it out? He showed us what we couldn't do and he committed to us even when we were hating him. Keeping extraordinary promises. The God of the universe. What God has joined together, that's why Jesus says that, is because that is the heart of what marriage should look like. The family unit is built around faithful and exclusive sexual union in a marriage. It excludes all others. It's why adultery and sex outside of marriage is so disastrous for society and disastrous for us that we need to be restored from in Christ. And it points us to the ultimate marriage into all eternity. I don't know if you're aware, but that glorious end picture where there is no fallenness, where there is no sin, where there is no pain and suffering in Revelation... It's taught, spoken of as a marriage. Revelation chapter 19, verse 7. Let's give you a little snippet. 19, verse 7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Our relationship to God is of him being the bride and his the groom and his people being the bride united to him into all eternity marriage is not the be all and end all it reflects that the bible's biggest story is that all of us can head there it's glorious god is the loving husband his people the beautiful bride They're corporately joined to him forever. They delight in harmony. Whereas in Genesis 2, they were naked and felt no shame. Into all eternity, we are in perfect harmony and relationship with the God of the universe. To put it bluntly, the most climactic and rapturous delight ever experienced in sexual intimacy by a married couple in all of human history cannot hold a candle to the delight of that union. And I want to ask you, do you truly believe that as a follower of Jesus? You see, I think that John Legend song, All of Me, All of You, there's much of it that's good because there is an element of other person-centeredness that God has built into us all of me, giving all of myself to you. And it says then that you give all of uh, yourself to me. And not based on anything and looks. I mean, it's quite good for, you know, two of the most beautiful people in the world to say that at that time. But he says in the song, all of your imperfections are perfect to me. That is great. That is how we should start to think instead of going on the comparison path and needing to determine relationships on looks and all those kind of ideas. But the biggest problem, I think, of that song is that that whole idea of romance and being swept up up into it, that's the ideal of human life. 
How perfect has he got it? Oh, if only I could have that. None of us do, by the way, the the way that song's painted, because it just doesn't work that perfectly. But wherever we are, the ultimate marriage is where our heart needs to be. And so how do we build a healthy marriage? Well, second reading today, I'm looking forward to doing Ephesians. We might do Ephesians next year when we can pull apart the whole book in that, in that chapter. But that chapter highlights beautifully what, what marriage looks like because, as we've just seen, it's in the context of Jesus and what he's done for us. But in Ephesians, that uh, chapter, which is so controversial now because it has a world that we can't deal with in the Western world, submit. But if only we would see what the summary is of the chapter, we'd get a greater context to it. Look at verse 33. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. It's brilliant. What it's pointing to is something that I think actually is the way males and females generally are. And it's a book that I think is super, super helpful. I don't know if you've ever come across this book, but it's called Love and Respect. Um, and I'll have some copies of it next week um, if, if, if you're interested in it. But this book, he points out something really, really helpful. He points out that this whole summary of talking about how the, the man is the head of the family and, and, and wife thinks about submitting to him and that uh, the husband is supposed to love is that when he summarizes the chapter, which, which uh, the way it's written clearly, verse 33 is... He points to the, to the man and says, you just love her. Love her. Give everything for her. What's your framework for loving her? You know, Jesus dying on the cross, giving up everything while you hated him. That's how you love her. And a wife, you know what your husband really wants? It's really true. Oh, he he uh, really points out how actually this is what men really do value. They love love. But they want to be respected. And so he says, respect your husband. Make that your goal, wherever they're at. Respect them. Honor them. Treasure them too. How joyful is a relationship that is expressing that? The moments that a generalized marriage is at its peak is when we're doing that the best. The moments when we're not at our best it's when one of us or both of us, probably more me, let's be real, is not doing that well. And I think uh, he puts out a couple of diagrams I want to show you because I think they're really helpful for us to see. He calls it the crazy cycle. Now, it's not who starts first. It's just once you get on this cycle, it's really hard to get out of it. You see, when you're not loving, the wife reacts. If you're not being loved, it's really hard to respond well. And I think that makes sense, doesn't it? And when that's the case, well, it's really hard to, res- it's really hard to respect him. And so if he, he's not being respected, he's not going to react well in loving. And then you're on a cycle. How are you going to break that cycle? You've got to realize love and respect is how we shape godly relationships. That's how God's made us. And so a healthy cycle of relationships is just the opposite. You see, Who's going to break that situation? Both of you. Both of you do it. And if you love, 
you love and love and love, how much easier is it for your wife to respect you? And if she's respecting you, how much easier is it for you to love her? It's a beautiful picture that he's found. Um, pastor who's done lots of counseling and talking in relationships and lots of things he talks about, about how that's worked out, has found that God actually knew what he was talking about when he said that you should respect and love. We want healthy marriages. We want to jump into that cycle, I reckon. We want to be concerned, as Ruth pointed out at the beginning, for the other person. The job in marriage is not for you to think, oh, look at that. I am to have everyone submit to me. That's not your, your role. Your role is to love. No husband should ever tell his family or his kids, submit to me. That's ridiculous. You should love like Jesus, humble yourself, lead them in love and they need to learn to, to love, respect you and follow you in that. It's never ever okay to abuse God's word for the sake and, and twist it around for us to get what we want out of it. The cycle of love and respect, is worth us committing to. If you are married today, as some of you are, if you've been married for 50 plus years, if you've been married for less than a year, renew your commitment to your spouse. Whether you have one day left or 50 years left, respect and love them. You know what's good to hear? And to know, and you probably need to be told it lots and lots of times, particularly the guys, help is a good thing if it's needed. If you're stuck in that cycle, getting good help is not weak or that your marriage is disastrous, it's that you're being wise. We all come with baggage. The other great book on marriage that I've got here, Tim Keller's book on the meaning of marriage, it's fantastic as well. It's a great outline of it. And, and Tim brought out that it's really helpful is that we all come with baggage to marriage, which makes it hard. For example, he says some examples of that. You might be the type of person who brings fearfulness. And so you have a tendency to anxiety. You're proud, you struggle with. So you're selfish. You're inflexible, which means you're kind of demanding sometimes. You're unreliable. And so you have kind of a tendency not to be disciplined. You're a perfectionist and so you love to control. You're impatient and so you hold a grudge. You're cowardly, so you love to trust, turn the truth to the way that you want it. All of those things we kind of bring to the table and more. We need God's grace and forgiveness, love and respect to come back and apologize and say we want to come back to the way God has got it planned. Maybe this week, make this week the week where you talk to your spouse. Carve out some time this week and say, you know what, let's talk about how we're going. Are we loving and respecting each other? Being honest with each other. Go. If you haven't been out on a date for ages with your spouse, you're doing it, do it this week. Plan for it. Make it happen. Spend some time talking about it. Commit to each other. We want to see godly marriages. We want our marriages to be best friend companions. 
we want to treasure our spouse. Now, if you're not married and you think that one day you might be married, you know what your problem might be? You're looking at the uh, candidates, let's just be blunt. You look at candidates and you go, oh, I might marry them. You're looking with the physical, but the reality is they're not always going to look like that. I didn't always look this handsome when Jen decided to go out. <laughs> the other way around, other way around. Um, maybe I wasn't ever. No, like, but you don't always stay that way, okay? <laughs> it's good to be attracted to someone. God's made us that way. We should be attracted to physically. But the world, like that song, makes it all about that. And we live in that space. We're so image-driven that we're caught up in it and we forget that my best friend could be around the corner and they're awesome and they're going to understand me. If you're looking for a godly marriage, you should want that person who gets you and you get them. I realized very early on that Jen would be my wife, if she agreed, because I could tell very long that she got me. I, I saw her and realized I really liked her. After actually the first time when I was asked to be set up with her, I said no, forgetting that moment, moving into the time when I got to, got to know Jen, I realized how awesome she was and the way she related to her friends. And that's the way I like to relate to people. And I realized that she was willing to put up with me. But you know what? I have changed drastically from 20 years ago. There are flaws in my character that weren't there then when Jen decided to marry me that she's now got to deal with. And they're significant. Because life's happened, things have gone on, we've had kids. and Do you pull out? You don't. You love the person who you're married to. And we work at it. Let me finish. I've gone on for ages, but just I think we're going to keep going. Um, we won't do question time today, but I promise next week we'll do lots of questions. In the Christian community, how do we think about marriage? This is really important. That's why I didn't want to just bypass this. We celebrate it with joy. But we also realize that marriage is hard because it brings up pain, because we live in a fallen world and it doesn't work out for all of us. It works out for a time. Sometimes there's the pain of death. And we need to what we talk about, love and compassion, realize that. It's super important that we don't make marriage the God of our church. Sometimes I, I still feel like, oh, I feel like we do that sometimes. Another important thing in the Christian community, which is really important in current things that are happening, is that the Christian church, Grove, should be a safe loving place that does not allow or sweep under the carpet any type of abuse. Domestic violence is not okay for God's people. It's not okay for anyone. It is something that we stand up against. And if someone is in danger or in trouble, 
we should be a place of refuge and where people can get the right help. It's not hasn't always been the case, but we make that commitment here at Grove. We're a community that fosters faithfulness in all our relationships. And so marriage is that expression of that that we continue to do. We want to foster faithfulness. We want grace to be the shape of it all. And so faithfulness is a character that we love. Remember the big point that I made last week about comparison and that when we compare ourselves to each other, it kills joy? It's so true. Each week, I think this will be an application. Uh, you yearn to be in a couple relationship. You're desperate to have that beautiful marriage. You're yearning to have kids and you see the kids and you can't have kids. The devastate, like, I just can't comprehend the devastating heartache of a parent having their kids die. Children who drive you up the wall who aren't doing what you want, who take so long to love you. You feel that they're not loving you. You look at other parents and you think they're better parents than me. And we are all somewhere on that spectrum of comparing ourselves. Yearnings and longings that are good, that are good, are okay. But we never say, at least you have that and I don't. That kills our joy. In the Christian community, we don't assume that because we're Christians, marriages are okay. We know how hard it is because of the world that we live in and our our baggage that we bring. We want to continue to come back to Christ and seek to grow in that. Lastly, as I will finish now, brothers and sisters... Cast your eyes, wherever you're at, to the faithful God who never, ever gives up on us. Who has given us life and who is our groom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you reveal to us how marriage should be. We just ask that you will keep transforming us into Christ. Be with us at Grove. Shape us wherever we're at. And we thank you that there's always restoration in him, no matter where we've been. Amen.